I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Luck has foils and attack positions. Prepare for battle! Autobots, roll out! Get ready, it's your weekly dose of nerd culture. All wings report in. With your crew, Obi-John Kenobi. Hello there. Commander Scott. Nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Julian. You tell him I'm coming! And hell's coming with me, you hear? And the Doc. Great Scott! Movies, TV, streaming, video games, comic books, board games, toys, collectibles, cosplay, conventions. If it's happening in the world of geekdom, we're talking about it. So lock and load, bag and board, and roll for initiative. We've got your... Nerd alert! Hello there. It's Obi John Kenobi, your favorite host in all the podcasts. That's right, kids, I'm back. We tried to let Jay run things last week and it just got weird. So we went ahead and fired him. Uh, he's gone. He's not coming back. Or he's not on today because it's his birthday. One of those two. Believe whichever one you want. Uh, so it's. Just me, Commander Scott, today, the dynamic duo coming at you. Uh, and let me formally introduce my right-hand man, the host of the quickest, fastest-growing podcast on the Top Nerdy TV Network, the sole and only host of House Rules. Ladies and gentlemen, Commander Scott. I find all of those statements to be completely um, apocryphal and not entirely and not even remotely accurate. Uh, I, I am not the only host of, of House Rules. There are many hosts of House Rules, and they all contribute greatly to the success of that show, however fleeting that it may be. We found nothing intelligible, intelligible in what you said, <laughs> and we're all dumber for having listened to it. <laughs> I award you no points, and may your soul burn in hell. Could have just said no. <laughs> Sorry, I also forgot the man who keeps the nerd in the top nerd TV network. That's... There he is. You heard him. That's Commander Scott. He's here. Yes, but unfortunately, apparently, I'm not supposed to be the nerdy one today or something. I don't understand. Well, what's going on. You, you, you were going through your list, and you said you were waiting to pick out a good one, and today's topic sent me down what I would call a Scott Cox-ish rabbit hole, and we talk about Cox's holes all the time on this show. <laughs> we're actually changing the name of the show to Cox-ish Holes. Uh, with Commander Scott. Uh, <laughs> so I had a, a, a fun fact. Um, and today, kids, I'm finally going to use that degree I, I paid for all those years ago. It's in a box somewhere collecting dust. Um, uh, my my uh, thesis film when I graduated was about uh, a filmmaker who we're going to talk to, uh, talk about, not talk to. That'd be weird. Um, the doc's not here, so we can't talk to him. Anyway, I'm rambling. Scott, if yes. I have to ask you, who invented the motion picture? What would your answer be? Well, that's the dude that took the picture of the horse running. You know, took the the several still pictures of the horse running. Okay, that's what it's called? I, I uh, close, but no cigar. Oh. Uh, no, now, now that being said, uh, the fact that you know that story, I tip my hat to you, sir, because it's one of my favorite uh, uh, motion picture trivia, you know, bits. Um, that yes, we we do owe 
to some degree the existence of motion pictures to a bet about horses. Yep. Um, yep. You don't get more Kentucky than that. Uh, unless the the winner well, gave the loser or the loser gave the winner a bottle of bourbon, well, then it might be a little more Kentucky. Well, but but it also proved that at some point during a horse's gallop, all four hooves are yes. off ground. They, yes, it did. Yeah, and that was I think that was the bet actually. Yes, yes, that yeah. was the bet, and to test it is so. And the reason I do not count that, uh, and, and uh, many historians don't count that, is because that's not actually a moving picture. It's twelve true. still images. Uh, placed sequentially and then viewed through a zoetrope. Yeah. Uh, so it's essentially a flip book of pictures. It it's is. not actually moving. Yeah. Um, so uh, close. Uh, but the guy who actually invented I was I was hoping you'd say Thomas Edison so I could go on a rant about how much of a piece of shit Thomas, uh, uh, Thomas Edison is. I, um, I, I completely agree with you that Thomas Edison was a complete piece of shit and I will never defend that person ever. One hit wonder. You invent one light bulb and suddenly you're the man. Um, we can, we can get into that topic <laughs> later. Uh, don't get me wrong. It was a very big hit. I appreciate it, but man, uh, no. So the actual, it's, it, it, uh, the horse bet you're talking about, I think was 19 or sorry, 1878 or 1879. Yeah, um, and it's, it's close, but the first, uh, moving picture filmed through a lens on a strip of film goes to, uh, I want to use his full name. Uh, so I can show off my French and I lost it. So we're going with the short version. <laughs> a man named Louis Le Prince uh, in 1888. Oh yeah, was, I know him. He's he's the music guy that that changed his name to a symbol and and had the the. No, the no, real- no. That's the artist formerly known as Louis Le Prince. Oh okay. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, it was 1.66 seconds long, and it was a shot of his family in the garden. Uh, wow. But it was the first uh, bit of film uh, film strip shot through a lens. Um, so suck at Thomas Edison, Louis Le Prince, the <laughs> inventor of what we would consider film, motion film. picture. Film. Yes. Uh, the it was later the 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 piece of film you can probably I think you can still look it up is called uh, Round Hay Garden Scene is the title of the film again one point six six seconds long. So really he not only invented um motion picture he also invented uh tiktok (laughs) (laughs) the first ever tiktok the first ever snap (laughs) i like it i like it so there you go uh a a wonderful wonderful nerd nerd fact sir however uh i i have to say uh i i find you know your intro that the doc has been fired and not here as as you know a little hurtful because the doc is here you know oh is he he is see so doc what do do you have to say about that you see the size of that goddamn chicken and without him here to inquire as to the size of that goddamn chicken yeah Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, no. but, and, and are you upset, you know, that, that he left you out, even though he's, you're, you're typically, you're considerably with us, but what do you have to say about that? I'm not, I'm, I'm not mad. Why would I be mad? I, I have I, nothing to be mad about. I have I, no I, reason to I, be upset about anything. Yeah, I get nothing it. Nothing at all. No I, reason I, to be upset at all. I, I get it. And you're a very magnanimous person, Doc. So you just go do your thing and we'll, we'll take the show, even though, you know, um, uh, Obi John left you out. It's okay. You just go do your thing. Anyway, please continue. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> uh, so last week we talked about uh, the history of 
space exploration in film. Um, specifically films about space exploration, specifically films about actual real life space exploration, the Apollo program, NASA, yeah. the moon landing, that kind of stuff. Yeah, they, uh, it was fun. Yeah. I'd love to do a whole episode uh, and just talk about the history of NASA because I've now binged all 12 parts of From the Earth to the Moon. Uh, <laughs> it's a great show. It's a little weird, but it's a good show. Um, <laughs> but that inspired today when I was like, well, let's, the show is called Nerdy. Let's, let's embrace the nerdy. Um, and I pitched Scott a, a very, very quick, very super, super creative idea of, hey, let's do fictional space exploration in film, right? Wow. Who would have thought of that? Am I blowing your minds yet, kid? But, uh, so, yeah. And, and once you pitch that, yeah. So you pitch that, like, hey, why don't we do fictional, you know, space mm -hmm. exploration? I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah. I can do fictional space exploration all day. And I, cause there's so much Star Trek stuff going on. I am gearing up for Turek. And then the other shoe drops. Well, now, now hold on. Cause the other <laughs> shoe said, <laughs> And I'm going to paraphrase myself because I'm too lazy to go back and read my text. I know we said uh, fictional exploration in film, but I mostly just want to talk about SG-1. Now, by that, what I meant, to that, that, that wasn't me saying, hey, we're just going to do SG-1 today. That was just me warning you, hey, I'm just going to talk about SG-1 a lot today. Because this morning, for whatever reason, I was just feeling SG-1. Yeah, um, and that's fine. That's fine. I, I love SG-1. Uh, so I've got no problems at all chatting about stargate but um, i i just uh, want you to know i have no intention of leaving it there so if we go off in something else that's fine okay so in the latest season of trek no okay sorry. <laughs> <laughs> be more specific uh no before we get into that um the thing that led me down the rabbit hole that got us to today's nerd fact um so we're talking today about space exploration in film and we can't do that in my mind without giving due credit to one man who is the unsung hero of the modern motion picture. Uh, even though in later years, he's finally started to get some of his due. Uh, another figure who fits firmly in my fuck Thomas Edison uh, folder, <laughs> um, a true visionary of what cinema could be uh, former shoe salesman, former uh, stage magician turned filmmaker, George Millier. Um, I'm probably pronouncing the name correctly. I don't care. I've been saying it that way for 20 years. Um, I did my my thesis film in college all about this man. Um, I, I am obsessed with his body of work. I just today ordered a new Blu-ray copy because that his works are now on Blu-ray, uh, and I had to have that uh, to upgrade my DVD copy. But um, the reason I'm talking about George Millier, the film he's probably best known for, certainly in the United States, is best known for, and in the history of film is best known for. Uh, my wife even proved my point about this earlier today when I was looking up stuff about him, and she goes, who is that? And I said, he's the guy that made uh, A Trip to the Moon, or Le Voyage dans, dans le Moon, uh, yep. if you want to be French with it. Uh, and she goes, is that the one where the moon gets shot in the face with the bullet? I was like, yes, it is. Yep. Yeah, that's the scene everybody remembers. Yeah, and it's it for a reason. Uh, and, I, and I said I love you so much for saying that because it, the film made in 1902, yep. 120 years ago, and it's still known today. Yeah, uh, and I love the fact that so if we go back to 1888 and say that was the invention of what we would consider modern cinema, 1902, we get the first science fiction film. Now the whole film is all of about 15 minutes long. But at the time, 
that was an epic. I mean, people are talking about, you know, Avengers Endgame being too long. Uh, this was the Avengers Endgame of its day. It was, <laughs> it's 15 minutes? Uh, films at that time were literally a couple of minutes. Uh, yeah. they, they, they were, they, they didn't really have necessarily stories or, or narrative. It was just people walking out of a factory at the end of the day, a train pulling into the station. That's just the, yeah. the novelty of a motion picture was what sold people on yeah. the films. Neil well, Yeh came in. Go ahead. Sorry. So, so to, to jump off this real quick. So this is made yeah. 1902, obviously and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I remember way back when, um, uh, the movie Titanic was in theaters. You yes. Know? Uh, and and I I was I saw that movie on a date, okay. Uh-huh. Uh, yes, I know it's shocking. Commander Scott had a girl that went out with him. I know, it's and weird. it wasn't Nicole. And I'm like, it what? was that Nicole. Wrong. It was. Anytime you talk about a date, it's the same with Nicole. It was not Nicole. Uh, she also, was. Shout out to She Hulk. I can't wait for your new show. Yes, and, and the fact that her trailer just dropped is awesome. Um, but no, uh, so her name was Cena. She was. A German exchange student. Um, she was a wonderful, wonderful girl. Uh, I, I I love Cena. She she was awesome. Um, but Scott, uh, you're married. Yes, I know. But you know, uh, for reasons that I can't go into right now. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Um, so when we're done recording, <laughs> but uh, you're going to be a little disappointed, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, so she and I went to see this, and you've got that scene where Leonardo DiCaprio kisses, uh, mm. what's her name, the back Kate, of her hand. Kate Winslet. Yeah, Kate Winslet's character, the back of her hand. And he says, I saw that once in a Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. And Cena laughed because she thought he was talking about the, 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 the television network Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. But no, that's not what he was referring to. So prior to in the, in the 19th century, like, you know, Obi-Jan said, the, the history of film and everything were just short, short little tidbits of something that was filmed or whatever. And you would literally you, you had these machines that had a hand crank on them and a, like a Viewmaster viewfinder. Uh, and it had the, the film. I'm not sure what the medium was that it used. I don't know if it was a disc or if it was just a like a flip, like a Rolodex kind of a flip thing. I don't know what the mechanism was. But you would put like a nickel in it uh, and you would crank the knob and it would run through like one sequence of the pictures and show you a very short like 10 to 20 second clip of something. Uh, It was literally a series of still images on a Rolodex that you turned with the crank. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Again, just like an animator flip book, it it, it made the illusion of motion. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. And and so to go from like literally 10 to 15 to 20 seconds to 15 minutes. And and not just the, the length, uh, but again, so George Millier was, wore many hats throughout his life, but at one point was a stage magician and also was big in theater. And all of those things came into to play when he became a filmmaker. Um, so if you look at the film, by today's standards, it's very rudimentary, but for its day, um, first of all, he built the very first studio specifically for the purpose of shooting film. It was essentially a giant greenhouse. The roof was all glass. That was necessary because at the time, cameras were so primitive, you had to have daylight in order to expose the film to enough light to properly um I forgot words now, uh, properly expose the film. Um, 
So he built the first studio, indoor studio, specifically to shoot film on. So that no matter what the uh, the weather was outside, as long as he had sunlight, we could shoot. Uh, he built stages uh, that weren't just like you know a cyclotron or a cyclorama and a uh, you know some some stuff in the foreground and background, but elaborate painted handmade sets that had moving background and foreground. Yeah. Uh, he used things like forced perspective huh? and smoke and mirrors and yeah. uh, he he may have not been the person who invented or discovered it but he is the person who definitely used it the most the stop trick uh if you've ever played with a camera you've probably done this you 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 film someone uh holding something in their hand and then you tell them stop and you stop recording and you take it out of their hand they don't move and then you click record again and then when you watch it back the thing in their hand disappears Yep. Uh, according to film legend, he that was discovered by accident. Uh, he was rolling a hand crank film. It jammed. Uh, and he told his model, "Okay, hold on a sec. Let me let me figure this out." And he finally got it cranking again and said, "Okay, jump back in the shot. We got this." And then when he went back to to um, develop and look at the film, he discovered that his his model disappeared. Uh, and, and that's you know again whether that's true or not is lost to history. But um, anyway, what I'm trying to get at is <laughs> he was the Steven Spielberg of his era. Yeah, uh, and he brought a level of of uh, craftsmanship and and uh, panache and uh, uh, to to films that uh, were completely. It w he was a complete novelty on his own. Uh, so it's not just that it was a long film. It's not just that it had awesome visual yeah. effects uh, and all practical, physical in the camera effects because that's all that existed. But the subject matter, it's called a trip to the moon. Since man's earliest exploits of film, we have been asking, what would it be like to explore space? Yep. Would you get there by shooting yourself to the moon in a giant bullet? Probably not. I, I think uh, would so. You encounter I'm, yeah, I'm going <laughs> weird, with Would you encounter weird crustacean moon people that if you hit them with your umbrella, they poof into clouds of smoke? Probably not, but I don't know. I haven't been there. Um I just love the fact that going back to the earliest days of film, we have science fiction hand in hand with film technology and and, and narrative film telling, uh, narrative, sorry, film storytelling. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that those two are hand in hand and, and have continued uh, as, you know, one guiding the other. Uh, you can trace direct line from this film to stuff like Star Wars, The Matrix, whatever. Um, I love that. I wanted to talk a little bit about that today. That's fine. Um, just because uh, I'm a nerd oh. for shit like that. So. Yeah, well, I, so I'm sitting here looking at that still image or a still image from the movie, you know, and it's 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 from the scene where you've got uh, all of the uh, girls uh, loading the bullet uh, command module into the breach <laughs> of the cannon. Yes. You know, you literally you've got a line of hang on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight girls, you know, pushing this this canister into the breach. You've got another one, two, three, four, five, six girls and a general dude up on the second tier. And so the general dude is pointing his sword at the thing like he's commanding, you know. Mm -hmm. And this is obviously days, this, this is, I'm sorry, this is in the days before the, you know, actors are trained to A, act, and B, not look at the camera. Because like half of these people are staring straight at the camera. Yep. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, Again, by today's standards, the film was weird. The, the, yeah. the language of film that we are so ingrained in our minds now just from watching movies as we grow up yeah. didn't exist back then. Yeah. Um, 
the movie itself has a continuity error because we see the bullet hit the moon and then we cut to a shot of it once again landing on the moon. We cut back in time and literal space to show the same thing happening twice. Um, Something you wouldn't normally do by today's standards. But again, 1902, that language didn't exist yet. Uh, Those are all stage actors acting uh, to the stage. Big gestures. uh, It's obviously a silent film. uh, So there's no dialogue uh, being recorded. Um, But yeah, and even even that, I mean, just look at that set and look at the giant cannon and know that, you know, when they when he does fire the cannon at the end of that cannon, that is just it's a flat painted cannon on on, on a canvas but it's done using forced perspective. So the cannon gets smaller as it goes up to make it look like it's actually there in frame and poof, a little, little poof of smoke comes out at the end when they fire it. Yeah. Um, that level, there's an awesome shot of them looking out, uh, the professors looking out over, uh, they're on a balcony looking out over the city. And I, I guess kind of plotting their course to the moon or something. Uh, and they're in the bottom right corner standing on a balcony and the entire rest of the frame is filled with a combination of scale models and um, hand-drawn paintings of a cityscape, complete with smoke coming out of smoke towers and running water. Uh, and it's, it's just, again, fucking 1902. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it, it blows my mind, the, the craftsmanship. But again, the reason yeah. I wanted to bring that up, uh, it is the first time a filmmaker ever said, hey, what if? Um, and and shot for the moon and hit it right in the eye. So um, with that as a springboard, um, Scott, what are some of your favorite uh, space exploration shows, movies, whatever? Well, I'm going to have to admit I'm I'm not con- quite prepared for this because after oh, okay. text yesterday, I honestly thought we were just talking about Stargate. <laughs> Sorry, that's fair. I wasn't I wasn't expecting, you know, the history of space exploration fictionally in in film uh, and and such. Um, so because, you know, I, I jumped from. So. So my, my immediate brain jumped straight from 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 this, of course, which is good, because I've actually seen this film. And and if you watch it, it it's a. It's a fun little film to watch. You just mm-hmm. have to realize you're watching a silent film from 1902. But the story, albeit its presentation is dated, the story is actually still really good. I, I think if you took this story and, and, and just updated it completely, you could tell a really good movie in today's, it's, today's age. It's also, uh, you know, not that scientifically inaccurate. Uh, it, it depicts the, the, the first depiction of an Earth rise. Because they are on the moon watching the Earth rise. Yep. Uh, we get the first splashdown because mm-hmm. the bullet comes back to Earth and hits the water. Um, so. No, yeah, there's a lot. Well, I mean, you know, even so, at, at the time that this was made, this was made in 1902. At, at the time that this was made, you've got Jules Verne. Yep. Which was a very prominent science fiction author. Who was, quote, an influence on the film. Definitely we yes. didn't rip this off. It was well, an influence on the film. Well, so Jules Verne's From the Earth to the Moon actually has the astronauts blasting off for the moon, A, from the Florida coast. And when they come back, they splash down in the ocean. 
So, yeah, I mean, you've got um, all kinds of, 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 of this 19th century and early 20th century stuff that comes to fruition. And it's totally not because all of the people involved in creation of NASA and our, our stuff read and watched this stuff as a kid and grew up on this shit. Um, it's totally not for that. But that's neither here nor there. So, you know, I, I jumped, you know, I jumped to Star Trek 1966 when it comes to space exploration. Do you want to uh, back up a little bit? However, okay. there's some stuff that comes before that and everything. And it's always because, I mean, you've got quite a bit and, and, and I'm not an expert on the subject matter, but you've got you've got uh, you've got Flash Gordon in there. Right. Yeah, well, the, the, there was one film in particular I was going to bring up before we jump into Trek, um, because this is a, a direct link between Trip to the Moon and where we're going to go with Trek. Um, and I, I know you've seen it, Scott, because um, if you haven't, I'm going to disown you. Uh, uh, 1956 Forbidden Planet. Oh, God, yes. Uh, Leslie Nielsen. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, no, if you've not seen this, so this was Leslie Nielsen prior to him becoming comedic Leslie Nielsen, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a, it's, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful, um, I, don't, I, I mean, movie's the wrong word, but it's, 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 a, it's a good, it's a great story. It's been a while since I've seen it. I haven't seen it in many years. It's okay. Uh, and once again, I, I didn't, I didn't prep any of this because I honestly thought we were just talking it's about okay. Starfleet. I got uh, you, buddy. So... Brief, yeah. briefly, Starship crew in the 23rd century goes to investigate the silence of a distant planet's colony, <clears throat> aliens, uh, only to find just two survivors, a powerful robot, <coughs> excuse me, uh, I lost my spot now, uh, a powerful robot and uh, the deadly secret of a lost civilization. So it is, if, you, if, you, if you've ever watched this film, and if you haven't, I encourage you to check it out, um, it is classic 50s sci-fi uh and by that i mean it is the epitome of everything you think of when you think 50s sci-fi um literally top build in this movie is robbie the robot as oh, oh. robbie uh oh, robbie Robbie the robot as himself uh he's definitely not a guy in the suit he is a real life robot and we're sticking to that exactly uh it, it has a Yes, the crew lands in essentially a flying saucer. It, it's a little more oval than round, but it's basically a flying saucer. Um, they get there, and uh, some stuff happens to the crew, and they immediately issue uh, all crew wear sidearms, and their sidearms are you know crazy sci-fi laser guns. Um, we, we encounter not only an invisible menace um, and have lots of cool ray gun battles, but there's an entire lost civilization underneath the planet. Spoiler. Um, there, there's a... Um, slightly mad evil professor uh there's his his um uh what's the word to use for this uh smoking hot teenage daughter i believe is the clue is what the the kids would call it now i can't say colloquialism there we go um so yeah who who wears a series of increasingly skimpy outfits uh it, it is literally like the epitome of 1950s sci-fi and i mean that as a compliment uh because it's the gold standard 
uh, of, of you talk about the history of science fiction films and and if this isn't on there your list isn't complete uh, because of the influence this had and again it's got everything all the elements you think of when you think of 50s sci-fi uh, done to the best of the ability of filmmakers in the age um, and has huge huge repercussions for sci-fi going forward um, awesome movie well also Yes. And, and and once again, I don't know the, the timeline of these movies when they came out and everything, but let's not forget the awesome movie of This Island Earth. Normal view. Normal <laughs> view. Normal view. Sorry. We we kinda we kinda tangent. Oh, we have oh, a yeah. C3K that, yeah, no, uh, that, that'll be a future episode, too. Um, you know, Scott, I've never seen the non-MST3K version of This Island Earth. Um, so, so I have, actually. Uh, I actually saw this movie before seeing the MST3K, the movie, mm-hmm. uh, which is sad, because I, I watch a lot of weird shit. But it's not sad. It's just research for a future well, podcast you didn't know well, you'd be on. But the sad thing is, so many, many years ago, there was a girl that I liked. And in emailing with her back and forth, right? You know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because you know me, I don't I don't think things are like things that are innocent to me may not be innocent to somebody who has no context for them. And I don't think about things before I you know do what I do. That's a good way to start this story. Yeah, and, and some so an emailing back and forth with this girl, um, uh, you know, we were we were debating, we were talking about going out and getting together and stuff like that, and blah blah blah. And she said, you know, we can have dinner or something like that. And I may have texted or not texted, but emailed back because it was before the age of text. Mm-hmm. I may have emailed back the yeah, and then after dinner, I can ram my ovipositor down your throat and lay my eggs in your stomach. But I'm not an alien. <laughs> totally not totally not getting the whole overt sexual connotation of that and it yeah <laughs> this has been how did you find a wife with scott cox <laughs> yeah is that did that line work on nicole never mind we'll talk after the show um <laughs> uh, Wow. Yeah, so this Island Earth, uh, again, I've, I've never seen the non-MST3K version, which I need to because I know they cut stuff from the actual movie to cut it down, even though the movie itself isn't that long. Um, so I've never seen the full story, but it's... Uh... <laughs> and I love... They, the, the, the MST3K crew talks about, you know, when they announced that that, that was the movie they were going to riff for their movie there was a lot of backlash of it's a classic we can't do that and we're like have you watched it recently though <laughs> uh, uh, i thought you were gonna go uh day the earth stood still but uh that works too with what day the earth stood still is where i thought you were gonna go well which is another good one you know the the you know the day the earth just stood still because it actually has a direct trek tie-in now okay Really? I must have missed something. Oh, you oh get- yeah. Sorry. No, now you're getting it. Right. It was just so subtle, Scott. It was just so <laughs> subtle. Uh, yeah, I, I it's not it. center frame or anything for like half of a monologue. Yeah, no. 
almost as bad as the shots of them watching Shane in Logan. <laughs> oh, get it? <laughs> Do you get it? <laughs> yeah, we got it. You can quit now. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, uh, so... Yeah, the, the the reason I brought up uh, Forbidden Planet specifically is, is because it, it segues directly into the thing I know Scott's wedding to talk about. Um, so let's just get to that, Scott. 1962? Season 1? Star Trek? Oh, uh, for Trek? Um, no, uh, 1966. No. <laughs> I was way off. Samsonite. yeah no uh star trek the original series um is as far as i know unless i'm mistaken you know uh uh, 1966 to 1969 because it only it only lasted for uh for for three seasons and it ended 10 years of course 10 years after it ended is um uh when uh the uh the 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 motion picture came out I'm I'm trying to hop on uh, IMDb just to confirm that, but yeah, yeah, 1966 to 1969. I don't know where I got 62 from. Yeah. Well, you can tell what I did my homework on, and it wasn't Star Trek, so that's fine. That's fine. Um. Well, I mean, if you want to jump to Trek, we can jump to Trek. I got because there's there's other stuff going on in there. We've got the whole Flash Gordon era. Well, Flash Gordon's fun, but it's it's much more adventure fantasy than really is exploration. Uh, it is. It is. It's 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 science fantasy more than yes. it is fiction. Yes. Uh, it, it, we'll, we'll, well, you know what? We'll 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 dive down that rabbit hole for a minute. Uh, so fine. oftentimes when you say science fiction, people go down. There there are two roads nowadays. Um, it all kind of got lumped together by Hollywood. But there's science fiction, which may more accurately be described as speculative fiction, uh, which is looking at things in the world we live in through the lens of fantasy. Um, and, and Trek was always great at that. And, and I think, Scott, you even mentioned this example last weekend. Uh, there's an episode of Trek where they come across a race of people who were at war with each other because one race of the planet is white on their left side and black on their right side, and the other race are vice versa. Yeah. And that alone, they are going to war to yep. destroy each other over. Yep. We're not talking about racism in the 60s. No. no. We're talking about the people on this planet. Yeah, we would we would never ever talk about that. No. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, that that well, is speculative fiction. Yeah. Um, and very, very. <laughs> Trek always had to kind of almost you know to get past censors had to had to do a lot of that stuff. Um, but but that's more science fiction. And then the other side is science fantasy, and that's your Star Wars and your Flash mm-hmm. Gordon and your. Um, you know, we ignore the laws of physics and yeah. how space travel works, and yeah. uh, it's just all about hey, it's fun. Just turn your brain off and have fun with it. Yep. There's nothing wrong with that. Nope. Well, and 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 as a huge you know Star Trek fan and and such, I don't get the the whole war with between Trek and Star Trek and Star Wars. I, I don't get it. They're like, two different I, genres. They're two different things. I like both of them. I love both of them. You know, just because you're a fan of one does not mean you have to hate the other. 
Um, because they're different things. They're night and day. They and everything. Yeah, and, and um, what works great for one doesn't necessarily. Work. You know, Trek is at its best when that's what it's doing. When it's it's. Oh, excuse me. Uh, when it's holding up the mirror to society and and being a speculative fiction kind of tale, that's when Trek is is for me. That's when Trek's firing yes. on all cylinders. And and, uh, I, and sorry. Go ahead. Oh yeah, I agree. When Trek uh, is doing that, when Trek is holding up a mirror to the world in which the the Trek in question is being produced, like that's that's what Gene Roddenberry wanted. More than anything, Gene Roddenberry wanted to hold up a mirror to our current society and say we can be better. That, at its core, is what Trek should represent. And, yeah. Um, and Star Wars is at its best when it's just telling fun adventure stories. Exactly. Uh, if, if you sit down and, and the, again, the prequels prove this. When you try to put science in your Star Wars, it doesn't work, metachlorians. Um, just, just, <laughs> just, just don't. Yeah, yeah. I, so I, yeah, I'm with you. The the debate, there's no debate for me because no they are two separate. It's apples and oranges. Yeah, I agree. Um, now going back to the whole Trek thing with the 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 the, you know, the episode with the the race that's half black, half white. Uh, which first of all, Frank Gorshin is in that episode. Oh Which, God, I forgot that. Yep, it's the Riddler from the Batman. He plays one of the half black, half white people. Um, but not one of the half white, half black people. Exactly. He would never thought <laughs> dead being one of those people. Um, Who are you calling those people? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, that being said, oh, good God, hang on, hold up. <laughs> Attacked by Kitty? No, no, oh. I've got a cramp. I've got a muscle cramp. Oh. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm going to stand up. Listen oh, to oh. Commander Scott's get a cramp while sitting in here talking. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. Um, so that being said, real as he works out a Charlie horse on air. Sorry. <laughs> with, uh, with the debut of Strange New Worlds, ah. the, the latest Star Trek series that has premiered. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there is a there is a decent amount of internet fan backlash from the pilot episode, the first episode. Whoa, 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 whoa! Star Trek fans are mad at Star Trek. I know, I know. It's that's what Star Wars fans are supposed to do. Well, I like to say Star Wars fans took a lesson from Star Trek fans <laughs> on how to be pissed at their own fandom. Star Wars fans, mad at Star Wars. Other news, water, <laughs> wet. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, great uh, um, uh, uh, Man of Steel. Uh, or no, wait, uh, Batman versus Superman. Uh, yeah. uh, call back there. Anyway, um, so in, in, in Star Trek Strange New Worlds, uh, there's an episode, or the, the first episode, actually, there's a scene where Pike, Captain... Christopher Pike is um, hi played, Chris. I'm played by right. yeah, played by the incomparable Anson Mount. Ah, so good. Uh, is um, basically giving a presentation to a pre-warp civilization 
on why they should turn away from the path that they're on because it could lead to global destruction. And so he shows uh, footage from Earth during the same kind of uh, uh, evolutionary development when they almost destroyed each other with a with a, with a with World War Three, which has always been part of Star Trek canon. Like we went through World War Three in in Star Trek canon, we almost destroyed ourselves, and then we emerged from it. The details have never really been fleshed out, so they took this opportunity to add just a little bit more details, which is fine. That's in their prerogative as a new show, but they used footage from the January sixth. I don't know what you would call it, protest slash attack on the Capitol. What would you call it? I don't know. Uh, the media calls it the insurrection. But you're talking Trek, so calling it insurrection might confuse people. Well, so, but they use footage from real world, the January 6th incident at the Capitol, um, as historical footage of the spark that created in the Star Trek world the Second American Civil War, which was new to Star Trek canon, but that's fine. There's nothing that says they can't add stuff to the canon, uh, which devolved into World War III. And there's a huge backlash online. Like, literally, I have seen comments, personally, of people complaining that Star Trek should not be, quote, unquote, this political. And and I'm like, I'm reading these comments, and, and I'm like, have, have, have you not watched Star Trek? Or do you just not understand what you're watching? Because Star Trek has always been this political vehicle. Not only... Do we have the original series black versus white, white versus black episode of the people who are, you know, half and half? But literally the second episode of the series deals with a pregnant woman who the government wants to abort her baby for reasons. And McCoy is helping her save the baby. It's literally fucking pro-choice. In 1966, the second episode, episode two is pro-choice like how do you not realize trek is now has is now has always been a political reflection of the times i just don't get i I don't get these people and not just political but trek has historically been very liberal it has first interracial kiss on television it had a russian crew member during the height of the cold war yeah now, also, now we're going to temper this because yes, so so after season one, uh, there was an article in the in, in in a Russian newspaper that came out that basically said, oh, the Americans they have this new television show that 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 you know uh, talks about space exploration, and we were the first we were the first people in space, and Yuri Gagarin was the first human being in space. He was Russian, yes, because. If you look back historically, and I'm going to say something that might be a little derisive, uh, is that the Russians kind of beat us in every goal of space exploration. We just kept moving the goal line back until something we could achieve first. I think um, we literally said that last week, too. So Did we? I don't remember. Pretty, pretty sure we covered that last week. I, I, I've slept since then. I don't remember. <laughs> um but but so so the Russian newspaper came out and said, oh, you know, this 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 American TV show, they're exploring space. They don't even have a Russian on the crew when the Russians were the first in space. So Gene Roddenberry is like, OK, I can get behind this. So he puts 
you know, a Russian in the form of uh, Ensign Chekhov on the show, played by the wonderful Walter Koenig, who is who is a, a wonderful actor um, uh, and everything. But if you look at him, if you look at Ensign Chekhov in, the, in, in season two of Trek, when he first comes on, they bring a Russian on, yes, but they temper the Russian-esque-ness because he literally has a Beatles haircut. Oh, he looks like he just walked off set of the monkeys. Yeah. Oh, yes, exactly. And he wandered looks, on the Star Trek set. He looks straight up like uh, what Davy Jones was that the yeah. yeah yeah Davy Jones of the monkeys like the, literally that's the aesthetic that they went with. Um, so while you do have some of that, yeah, the 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 executives still had their hand in it. <laughs> they were still trying to mitigate some of what they thought was going to be fallout in the 1960s. So, yeah. Anyway, sorry. That's okay. Um, no, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you get me on track. I'm going to start talking to, track. To, to, to quote another, you keep using this word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> uh, but also, Trek, uh, again, direct line from, from you know, uh, trip to the moon to Trek. Um, again, it, it's that the, the notion of Someday we'll we'll be able to have the technology to go out amongst the stars and explore and to quote Trek, you know, uh, uh, meet new life and new civilizations and explore a strange new world. And and that's it's always a lofty idea. And and that is something that Trek does like no one else. Um, There might have been stepping stones to get to Trek, um, like Fantastic Voyage uh, or sorry, uh, Forbidden Planet, not a Fantastic Voyage. That's a whole different thing. Um, But. Trek is all about a better, brighter future where Earth has been through the ship, but we finally got our act together and we set our sights to the stars and look at us now. Uh, and, and that's something that most Trek carries in some form with it, whether it's the original series or the lower decks, it, it's in there somewhere because that is in the DNA of Trek. Um, and, and it gives us lots of cool as much as it, you know, uh, built on things that came before, Trek itself introduces us into the, a whole uh, um, bunch of characteristics and, and things that would that nowadays we would consider to be tropes um, or lazy uh, writing. Uh, things like transporters, beam me up, Scotty, um, phaser guns. But it also gives us lots of cool technology that now in 2022 we. Um, in fact, it now seemed quaintly outdated. The flip open communicator. How cute is that in 2022? Yeah. Um, uh, I, I guess technically TNG gave us Bluetooth with the communicator pin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, so, yeah. So actually, so when it comes to Trek predicting future, future technology. Mm-hmm. So diagnostic beds, you know, in the sick bay where you would lay on the bed and it would give you the diagnostics. Mm-hmm. This was actually developed by the U.S. military. Uh, and we've kind of had that since the early 90s. Uh, flip-up communicators, of course, uh, were shown in the original series. We've had flip phones since the, the 90s, and now we're past the flip phone now. In fact, they're actually we're kind of circling back to the flip phone. Uh, tricorders, actually, I think, are the modern-day smartphone, which gives ah, us yeah. a bunch of stuff. Um we had pads in Star Trek The Next Generation and on the original series where they would hand the electronic, like, you know, 
the electronic uh, clipboard to Kirk, and he would write whatever. So pads are tablets. Mm-hmm. So we've had those since the sixties. Um, uh, just just all kinds of, of technology actually came to fruition. In fact, uh, a friend of ours, both yours and mine, we visit him on Thursdays. Um, met, uh, several years ago. I'm not going to say many years ago, but several years ago. Um, he and I were at Lowe's, right? Okay. And we we were leaving Lowe's, and on our way walking back out to the car, we got to talking about Trek, and, and we got to talking about this specific topic, about how, you know, Trek has really predicted, you know, a lot of technology, like, decades before it actually became a thing. You know, lots of different technologies. And he's like, no, no, no. He's 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 a little bit older than both you and I, you know. And he comes from somewhat of a background and everything. He's a little bit stubborn in 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 his viewpoints on things, but we love him anyway. Um, but he said, no, no. He said, I won't believe that the Trek is predicted. You know, blah, blah blah. He's like, I won't believe that until I walk up to a door and it opens for me. And I'm like, really? Because it just happened twice in and out of uh, uh, in and out of Lowe's, dude. We walked up to the door and it opened, and and he stopped, and he's like, "Shit, you're right." <laughs> he never thought about it before. What he so, meant was, until the door opens and makes the whoosh sound, <laughs> the swoosh sound. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Then he'll accept uh, it. <laughs> but yeah, now Trek Trek has done. I mean, when it comes to science fiction and predicting the future, and te- from a technological standpoint. You can't dismiss Trek as a whole because it's it's just done so much, um, and, and I expect it'll continue to do so even even into the future. So, well said. Sorry, uh, no, that's fine, dude. Um, it, it also, as far as uh, space exploration on TV goes, really sets the bar going forward. Um, Lots of, especially post Star Wars, there's tons of sci-fi shows. Um, some good, some bad, some in between. Um, some we just never talk about again. But Trek again, kind of sets the gold standard. Um, again, because of, and I don't want to say production value because, like you know, they weren't spending millions on each episode, but. Um, Trek because it stuck around in popularity and in the consciousness of fans even after it was no longer on the air, or I should say, no longer new episodes were on the air because um, reruns kind of saved it. Uh, but it, it's it, everything that came post Trek inevitably found itself compared to Trek. Um, Babylon 5, which I know Scott loves, and, and I would argue isn't maybe so much exploration because it's all on one space station, but yeah. you can't talk about Babylon 5 and not have it compared to, no. to Trek. You, yeah. you know, Battlestar Galactica is, is more of a direct Star Wars comparison, mm-hmm. but again, it's people out in space. It's going to get comparisons to Star Trek. Um, you just can't do it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. So, as much as I love Babylon 5, so. I actually just recently did an episode of a podcast called uh, Docking Bay 77, which if, if, you, if you've never heard of it, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a small podcast, but it's, it, it's worth a listen to. It, it's, it's by a friend of our show. Um, 
and he wanted to do a talk on like the our top sci-fi TV shows, right? You know, uh, mm-hmm. and, and as much as I love um, uh, Star Trek, I don't consider Star Trek the number one TV sh- sci-fi TV show ever produced. I reserve that for Babylon 5. Because from production standpoint and writing standpoint, it is better than Trek. Um, With that being said, you know, we're talking about uh, fictional space exploration. Babylon 5 is not space exploration. That's not what they're about. At all. And that's not what they do. Um, but, uh, so, so that being said, it's still great, um, uh, and, and stuff, and, and, and I would not include it in this, because, once again, not space exploration, but, um, uh, going forth from, kind of, ha- actually, kind of hand-in-hand with Star Trek, there's another series that has had a long-lasting influence going forward, and that's Lost in Space. Because that is space exploration. Even though they, they're trying to get back to a specific course, mm-hmm. they're still exploring as they do that. And it started in late 60s, early 70s, I think. Scott, I'm going to confess to you. Uh, this is strike two for me tonight. Um, never seen a single frame of Lost in Space, the TV show. The original or the new one? Original. Um, sorry, Lost in Space for John Peacock begins in 98 with Matt LeBlanc. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, so the 98 movie, I love it. So do I. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great movie. It's, it's fun. And say what you will about Matt LeBlanc, you know, coming off of... Cause he really kind of got the shaft a little bit with friends because he's playing Joey. Uh-huh. And Joey's a bit of a moron, but he's a lo- he's a lovable moron. Right? Correct. You bring him into, you know, uh, Lost in Space as Colonel West. He actually does a pretty good Colonel West. When you compare him to the original Colonel West. Okay? I, I love the 1998 movie. However, the Netflix series, the current Netflix series for Lost in Space is leaps and bounds better than the movie. Agree to disagree. Oh god, I don't yeah, I'm I'm gonna have to say if you don't like it, that's your that's your own thing. You know, I'm I don't dislike that. it, but I'd rather watch and again this goes back to science fiction versus science fantasy and I would say the Lost in Space film is more science fantasy because it honestly deals more with time travel than <laughs> space exploration. Uh, but it's also got scenes of Matt LeBlanc putting on sci-fi armor and shooting space spiders. Yeah. Uh, and, and that gets me all day. So, And I can see that, but I, lo- I, love the Net- I love the movie, but I love the Netflix series too. God, it's great. And I'm not saying the Netflix series is bad. It's just it's different. Yeah, uh, it it is leans different. more into the science than yeah. the fantasy yeah. aspect yeah. of it. Yeah. If 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 you could, so if you compare the original Lost in Space to the movie, 
to the Netflix series, they are all different things. Oh, yeah. They're all over the place different. They, you really can't compare them. Um, the movie tries to maintain a little bit of that 60s cheesiness. It does. Um, the Netflix series dumps that wholesale. Um, it's so, like The Martian um, in that it's 1,000% oh. scientifically accurate. Um, they're more interested in being accurate to science than what? telling cool what? stories. Why do you um, do this to me? Why do you do this to me? You knew it was coming. <laughs> no one escapes the Martian. <laughs> um, so the, the, the Netflix series actually incorporates several elements of the... And I forget the publisher, but there was a comic series in the late '90s, early 2000s okay. that they incorporate. And 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 one of the big things that they incorporate is that the Jupiters were individual spaceships uh, on board a larger carrier vessel. So okay, yeah. When it comes to space exploration, now I I I, I admit that in in Lost in Space, their goal. The goal of the characters is not to explore space, but they are exploring space. Yeah. Um, yeah, I highly recommend it. Wonderful. Again, I have nothing against Thanks. the Netflix series. Uh, I have not seen season three yet. Um, but yeah, the first two seasons are, are again, very well done. Very different. Yeah. Um, very much uh, think like the difference between Batman and Robin versus Batman Begins, and that's sort of like the difference between classic Lost in Space and Netflix Lost in Space. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I I would highly recommend it. Yeah, uh, I, I I I don't I don't don't, don't disagree. Don't you dare talk bad about my bat, Matt LeBlanc, though. No, would never deign to talk as bad. His badass bubble fighter. Exactly, about your Matt LeBlanc. The bubble the fighters were good. Um, I also love, uh, I also love his his whole little monologue at the beginning where he's, you know, he's he's like kind of reminiscing about his entire combat, you know, history. Mm-hmm. You know, flew so many fighter missions, war, fought mm-hmm. in this war, fought in that war, all to take the family camper on a on a on a on a, on a vacation. Yeah, yeah. And the monkey flips the switch. And the monkey flips the switch. Yeah. See, now I want to watch that movie again. You're welcome. That was that was a good movie. I wanted to see more, and you could definitely tell that they ended that movie with the intention to do more movies. Oh yeah. Um, I, I honestly don't know why they didn't. I, I guess because the, yes, the original did. didn't perform that well at the box office. There you go. I don't know why. The, the answer to it, Scott, anytime you question, why didn't they make sequels to this? It didn't make enough money. Because if it made enough money, there would have been a sequel. Hey, I um, saw it three times in theaters. I did my part. Would you like to I, I've bought it on at least three different home formats. Um, yeah, it's on theaters this summer. It came out. So they, they, again, great yeah. movie. Uh, that cast is fantastic. It is. Um, it would have been great to see that cast do more stuff together. But anyway, yeah. um, let's get to it, Scott. Um, so I was I was trying to set up uh, that, you know, uh, 
sci-fi exploration shows and things are inevitably come back to Trek. Uh, there's one show that beautifully bucked that trend by removing sort of the inherent element uh, to space exploration. What if we could explore space and not need a spaceship to do it? Well, that's because we have, say with me, Scott, the Stargate. Star Trek. Wait, sorry. Oh, what? No, no, no. No ships. Yeah, yeah, the the Abrams reboot with the 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 the, the trans trans dimensional beaming or the transport beaming. Yeah. There's yes. No exactly. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what. That's um, not what we're going with. Well, sort of. Sort of. Is going through a Stargate wormhole trans whatever beaming? Uh, yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm just I'm that's I'm a, that's a that's a question for Scott Cox. Yeah, sorry, I'm just I'm just I'm 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 kind of railroading uh, Obi John here a little bit, you know, in that that there's an episode there, there's an aspect of the Abrams reboot movies that I don't like, but that's uh, sorry, I don't mean to steal your thunder. Anyway, Stargate, yes, uh, Stargate is a wonderful, wonderful series and franchise. Despite Star Trek Universe, or I'm sorry, shit, Stargate Universe. There you go. I'm a horrible person. I'm a horrible host. Why do you? No, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You recovered. It's all good. Uh, yes. So de- debuting in 1997, um, set roughly one year after the events of the film Stargate, uh, which we could talk about the film. But uh, to me, the film was great, and I love it but it is just the tip of the iceberg of the Stargate universe. And it's one of those things where if you've never seen the shows, you have no idea what you're missing. Um, you're, you're let's Stargate through a keyhole. You, you need to widen that view um, because my God, the show ran for 10 seasons, spawned three spinoffs, two direct video films. Um, and it is the only reason Stargate is still a, uh, potentially financially profitable franchise for MGM uh, with whatever their new streaming services. Um, it's because of the show. It's not because of that one movie that came out in 95 or whenever it came out. Um, it is because of this show because um, it took that basic premise. Yes. So I have a question. Okay. You said three spinoffs. Uh-huh. Stargate uh, Atlantis. Atlantis Universe. Stargate and... Universe. Yeah. The cartoon, Scott. It was a cartoon. Stargate in Infinities. I don't I don't know what this is. Oh, it's terrible. It's god awful. That's why I don't mention it much, because it's bad. It's bad. Uh one season in syndication? Yeah. <laughs> um anyway (laughs) so the the premise is uh on earth we find an alien device called the stargate that allows you to dial other worlds um light years away and step through the gate and instantly travel to other worlds so you can explore the entire universe without uh, i would say without leaving home but without getting on a ship uh, and all that kind of stuff um, and that, that is uh, the genius conceit of the show. You know, they, they built two gates initially, one to sit in our, our home office set where we d- uh, disembark from every week, and then one to go stick out in whatever planet we're going to explore this week. Uh, a lot of planets that look like northern Canada for some reason. <laughs> uh, 
Well, and they actually call that out. And yes, the, they do. Yes, they do. They 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 hang a tag on that, you know, front and center. Uh, someone calls it out and then says, "Well, you know, uh, it makes sense that the the people who built the gate network would only build gates to worlds that could sustain human life." Um, so there you go. That's why there's so many <coughs> lush green forests in the Stargate universe. Um, not because it's cheap to shoot in Canada. Uh, but it starred Richard Dean Anderson, yes, MacGyver himself, as uh, Jack O'Neill. That's O'Neill with two L's. There's an O'Neill with one L, whole different guy. Uh, that's another lampshade from the show. Um, yeah. one, of, one of the things I love about the show is the show never took itself so seriously not to poke fun at itself. Um, it, it constantly has its tongue in its cheek, and it will call itself out. Uh, there's there's a there's a gun in the or a weapon in this show called a, a Zat for short, uh, Zat Nicotel or whatever. Uh, yeah. It's it's a handheld version of the big energy staff you see in the movies. Uh, and in early seasons, they established one shot will stun somebody, two shots in rapid succession will kill somebody, three shots will make them disintegrate. And then someone decided that's the dumbest thing ever. We're never doing that again. And the show itself calls itself out for that in a future episode. Um, because the show is never afraid to poke fun at itself or call itself out. Uh, which is why it's fun. It's, it's full of uh, in-jokes just for the fans. Um, but, uh, sorry, I was going on the cast list. Uh, Michael Shanks as, as Daniel Jackson, uh, the resident nerd. Uh, Amanda Tapping as uh, uh, Carter. And Christopher Judge as Teal'c, the um, requisite alien member of the team. Um, but the whole premise of the show is is that we're, we're using the Stargate and we're exploring other worlds, meeting new alien races. Um, but the overarching threat of the whole first like seven seasons of the show yeah. uh, is this race of aliens um, that have presented themselves to ancient humans as gods. Um, and that's what we're up against. Uh, every planet we go on, when we tell them, no, no, there is evil space aliens, it, it, we're telling people, hey, the deities you worship are evil space aliens um, because they have superior technology and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it is everything you want from a, a space exploration show. Uh, it does episodic stuff where, you know, every episode we're exploring a new world, meeting a new race. Um, but it also does season or even in some cases multi-seasonal long arcs um, where you have uh, episodes that are a little more lore heavy and, and, and move the overall plot of the series forward, develop the characters. You know, the characters from, from season one, episode one to season 22, episode 10 not the same characters they go through some of them quite a bit of change and evolution um and and growth as people uh so it's rewarding to 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 watch uh but it never loses sight of hey we're a fun adventure show and every week should be um you know something new and fun to watch and it's also it straddles that line between science fiction and science fantasy because yes there are episodes where they're very combat heavy uh, we're fighting gold, and we've got you know F three hundred twos and and uh, death gliders duking it out over Antarctica. And then there are episodes that are much more quiet and contained, and we're trying to solve a science problem. 
um, or, or you know, we're 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 trapped on a planet and and uh, the gates down, and we've got a uh, uh, to use Carter's own language, MacGyver away home. Um, <laughs> again, the show not afraid to poke fun of it, or not afraid to poke fun of itself. Um, the episode that it, it also gets very heavy and weighty at times. There's an episode in season one where we find out the group we know is not the first to have gone through the gate. And there's in fact an explorer who's been just abandoned on a planet for decades because we had no way to bring him home. Um, so it gets, it gets, it gets heavy at times. Um, but it's, it's just so good. Scott, tell me why you love Stargate. So, uh, you know, I, um, I have to say, I think you can, safely uh lump the success of stargate as a tv series on the shoulders of richard dean anderson yeah that's a safe bet um his portrayal of o'neill like i want i go back and watch stargate the movie and i don't like it because i don't like kurt russell's o'neill like that's not o'neill i don't i don't like him that's o'neill with one l yeah, he's he's annoying. He's he's a he's a little bit of a bastard. Um, um, but now personally, I also like it once we get past season like two when we're not into Planet of the Month kind of a thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And we start getting to to more of world building and storytelling and stuff with the Stargate program. And their alliance with the Asgardians and, you know, all that good stuff. Their fight against the Goa. Yes. Um, and there's also great episodes like, um, oh, what's it called? The one where they discover the Beta Gate. Oh, the one with the outtake, the MacGyver outtake? Yes. <laughs> Which um, is a great outtake, by the way. Yes, it is. It's awesome. Uh, another episode, example of a great sort of bottle episode of of the 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 problem the 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 obstacle to solve isn't something we can shoot or kill. It, it, it we've got to science our way out of it. Yeah. Um, where we find out there's a second gate on Earth, and, and then I want to give away. But one of the reasons I love Stargate, and I recommend it to people who aren't big into sci-fi, is starting out. It is the most or one of the most grounded science fiction shows you'll ever find. Eventually, yes, we get to an era in Stargate where we're building ships capable of faster than light travel. And O'Neill wants to call it the Enterprise. And and, uh, we're, you know, hopping universes to go partner with our sister spinoff show. uh, And we're duking it out with alien races every week. And it gets very Star Trek-y eventually. But especially the first few seasons, it's very grounded. The central conceit you have to buy in is that we found this alien device and we got it working again. If you can buy into that, you can buy into the rest of Stargate because everything else builds off of that gradually. And again, it takes 10 seasons, well, you know, seven, eight seasons to get to the point where we're building, you know, giant faster than light spacecraft and all that kind of stuff. We, we do not start out that way. Uh, season one, there's a great exchange 
um, where they're on an alien craft headed towards Earth, and we've got to stop them. And they're talking about, you know, what can we do to stop it? And one of their alien allies goes, well, surely if, if the ship gets to Earth, Earth has many mighty vessels that will fight it off. And O'Neill and Jackson just kind of go, yeah, we have uh, some shuttles. <laughs> Yeah. Surely these shuttles are a mighty craft. Yeah, sure. Let's call that plan B. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't. The whole concept is if this ship gets to Earth, we're screwed. Uh, we got no way to fight this off. Um, so, it, it's again, it's it it starts from a very grounded, realistic place, even down to the uniforms they wear are uh, a slightly costumey version of just straight military BDUs. Uh, the, the technology we have is straight grounded on Earth. And again, we get a little more sci-fi with it. You know, later seasons we go out with, you know, Zats as standard equipment and things like that. Uh, but the standard gear on Trek is stuff that Earth Trek. Wow. I did. I did a yeah. Scott. The you standard did. gear on Stargate is is stuff that exists in reality at that time. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's very easy for non-sci-fi fans to buy into because it keeps itself very grounded initially. We build gradually. Well, you know, uh, jumping off of that on uh, technology from today, you know, um, in, in I think, uh, season three, don't quote me on this, it's been a while since I've done a rewatch, but they switch from the, the standard weapons that they use for the SG teams to an assault weapon called the FNP-90, which is a Belgium-made weapon. And you know why they made that switch, right? I do. You do? Are you sure? Uh, the brass from a P-90 is ejected straight down, as opposed to the MP-5s they were using pre, uh, which eject to, I believe, your right. Uh, right. So that yeah. way they could have their actors standing next to each other, firing yeah. without showering their co-stars with hot brass. Exactly. So the FNP-90 is a very film-friendly weapon. Most assault rifles, and I would say 98% of the weapons that are designed, uh, when when you discharge around, the empty brass is ejected off to the right, which is standard. Nine, you know, uh, and the MP5s, that's what they did. But the like, like Obi John said, so the FNP90, the empty brass is expended or ejected straight down, not off to the right. So you can have all of your principal actors standing next to each other abreast in a scene instead of staggered. Because with the MP5s, you had to have them offset so the brass was shooting in front of them and not like directly onto them. Whereas the, the MP5s, it goes down, and you can have them all lined up nice and happy. It's a film-friendly weapon, which, you know, just I love because the U.S. Uh, the US Air Force would never actually adopt uh, a, a Belgium weapon as their primary weapon. So, yeah, I love it. Well, and another fun fact is the, the show... Uh, all 10 seasons was filmed with the cooperation of the Department of Defense and specifically the Air Force. Yep. Um, and that the Air Force would give uh, technical advice and on everything from military procedure and ranks to uniforms and hairstyles. Um, and and granted, the show didn't always, like Scott points out, I didn't always go with that. 
Um, and I believe there's an in-universe reason for why they switched their main weapons. Um, and it's certainly a top-secret black book operation, so yeah. they can get away with that. Um, but it it, uh, it it is as realistic a depiction of the military as you'll see pretty much anywhere. Again, uh, the old adage, you never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Um, the whole O'Neill Carter thing would never fly in the military but it's a tv show shut up we want to see him kiss uh and the show found very clever ways <laughs> to have two officers on the same team make out as much as possible well you know it's uh it's a fun thing to see <laughs> it, it is it's what creative way will we come up with this week okay so neil right he's caught in a time loop he's got a groundhog day thing going on right mm. so he walks in he hands his resignation O'Neill says, what's this? Or sorry, uh, General Hammond, what's this? My resignation. What? Why? So I can do this. <laughs> As he grabs Carter and just starts sucking face. Uh, hey, at one least of my favorite he, moments. he resigned first. He did the right thing. Yes. And that again, that's one of the reasons I, you know, I love <laughs> giving your writers. Uh, we talked about this in, in many prior episodes, but writers working under restraints will always be more creative than writers who just have carte blanche to do anything and everything because it makes you get creative um it forces creativity so i say no we we have these two actors who have great chemistry together and the characters uh for multiple seasons have have expressed uh that they care for each other much more than just teammates but they're in the military so we can't ever have them actually consummate this relationship so figure it out writing nerds and that that's what you get O'Neill's caught in a time loop and someone's possessed by an alien and it's an alternate reality where one of us isn't in the military so we can have a kissy scene. Like, they'll figure it out and, and it'll be infinitely more creative. Yep. It was, the, the it was perverting good. to a caveman episode. <laughs> Gets a little rapey. <laughs> <laughs> well... You know that that's an early episode. That was very much a Planet of the Week episode. So okay. <laughs> that was a we spent a lot of money on this set for a Stargate Command. You're gonna go shoot some episodes that don't leave Stargate Command, uh, which yeah. is fine because it's a fun set. I agree. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Alrighty. So uh, I will say uh, of the many spinoffs it had. Um, the only one I recommend watching is Atlantis. Um, I'm not a fan of Stargate Universe. Scott can try to defend it if he wants to. Um, but Atlantis was fun. Uh, it definitely leans much more sci-fi. Um, it comes after season six of Stargate SG-1. Something like that, yeah. Season I, six or seven? I have to look, yeah, but it's, it's later in the, in the SG-1 run when, when uh, yeah. Atlantis debuts. So SG-1 itself is, has begun to lean a little more sci-fi uh, than the grounded, re uh, realistic first seasons. Uh, and uh, the, the Atlantis command is cut off, at least for the first couple seasons. Um, so they're they're on their own. Um, and the, the uniforms are much more Trekkie in that, uh, you know, it, it's a gray BDU, but depending on your classification, you have gray and black or gray and red or gray and yellow. And yeah, again, not that the uniforms detract from the good storytelling and the fun characters, but uh, Atlantis leans a little more into the, the sci-fi uh, 
um, elements um, universe I just can't stand and Infinities, uh, you have fun with that. You know, I've never seen Stargate Infinity. Um, there's, I think I watched one episode on YouTube. Yeah, that there, was enough for me. There's episodes of uh, Universe that I don't mind. There's definitely episodes of Universe that are like, wow, that's just that's complete dog shit. That was horrible. But um, and, but you're you're uh, SG One and Atlantis are very much worth a watch. I love those those series, both of them. They're great. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Sorry. Favorite moments. One of my favorite things to do with, uh, um, uh, Atlantis mm-hmm. is when you watch through Atlantis, you know, uh, you get toward, you don't even have to get to the end of Atlantis. You can get to the middle of Atlantis. But then you go back and watch the episode of SG-1 that was the introduction of McKay. <laughs> and his character is night and day different from what he is, what you grow to love in Atlantis. You know, Atlantis, in my opinion, Atlantis has actually better character arcs than SG-1. Well, and it's it definitely benefited from not having any of the constraints of being uh, tied to the military and yeah. being complete. And again, also not having any constraints of having to fit into the world already created by the film. Um, it is okay. We'll take the basic conceit of we walk through the gate and explore new worlds, but it's literally in a whole different universe or not universe uh, galaxy. And it's a completely fresh slate, um, and it it the the writers were much less inhibited uh, when it came to Atlanta storylines because it doesn't have to be grounded in any kind of reality. Their home base is literally uh, a, a city built by an ancient alien race, versus the home base on SG One being a military installation in Cheyenne Mountain. So. <laughs> You're starting from a whole different spot, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it is It is much different. And uh, if you're going to watch Atlantis, so when Atlantis starts out, it's not quite where Atlantis ends up. Nowhere near. Nowhere near. Uh, so when Atlantis starts out, the... the um, shit, what's the bad guys? The... Uh, the Wraith. Wraith, thank you. Space vampires. Uh, yeah, space vampires. They are very OP when when the show starts. They had to nerf them quite a bit going into second season because the writers figured out, wow, we can't we can't beat these based off of the, the rules we've set up. Um, so they do get nerfed quite a bit, but it, it works well for the overall show. So. Also gives us a young Jason Momoa in season two going forward. Season two, yeah, because we replaced the uh, uh, the the one guy I can't remember his name uh, because he wanted to go play in a band in Europe. Yep, that's why uh, we repa- replaced him with Ronan Dex, badass alien gladiator 
not quite bounty hunter dude yeah uh one of my favorite crossover episodes is the one where him and teal'c are trapped in a space station together that oh. is fun yeah seeing him and teal on on camera together playing off each other yeah is, is a wonderful episode that is a fun episode Well, righty. Any other space exploration shows you want to toss in the ring? Um, I'm trying to think because there's lots of other science fiction television shows, mm-hmm. but specifically space exploration TV shows that that like narrows the field quite a bit. Because you've got Battlestar Galactica in there, but that's not really space exploration. That's not their goal, you know. We talked well, about space, but that's not their goal. You could make an argument um, that yes, their goal is to find Earth, but on the way they do end up exploring planets they haven't been to before. They do, but it's, it's not, not their intention. But and and, and we both agree, <laughs> the show ends <laughs> with the new New Caprica arc. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, once they escape yeah. through Caprica, it's all over. It's all downhill from there. But yeah, you, you, you could make an argument. But you're right, that's not the, the sole uh, feature. Um, well, then let's just, let's just full circle this thing. And we're two episodes into Strange New Worlds. The third one will be up by the time this episode is out. So what are your thoughts on Strange New Worlds so far? Oh, Strange New Worlds. You know, Star Trek, the latest Star Trek series uh, starring Anson Mount as Captain Christopher Pike, the second captain of the Enterprise. Um, but first in our hearts. So Suck far, it, Shatner. Anson Mount's my daddy now. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I have to say I'm loving that series uh, uh, thus far. I've, there's only been two episodes at the time of this recording. Um, and I love everything about it. Uh, so I'm I'm a little interested the fact that we're getting a Noonien Singh character. So I think that was just put in to kind of help cross over and tie in with the other Trek series that are currently in production. But that's either here nor there. She's still a great character. Oh, Scott. Sorry. Um, but we uh, failed to mention one of our favorites. Oh, what's that? Well, so I talked about uh, Trek leaving a very wide footprint, and and every show that comes since and inevitably ends up somehow getting a pair to Trek, and and Stargate does a great job of of you know poking fun at itself for that. You know the whole in joke of. The first ship that humanity builds capable of faster than light traveling. O'Neill's upset they didn't call it the Enterprise. Um, but there's one show that leans straight in to the Star Trek comparison. Okay. And in fact, it was originally pitched as a parody of Star Trek, uh, uh, but then very quickly proved itself to be not just a parody, but in many ways a torchbearer for what Trek should have been. Yeah. Orville. Yeah, but still, as much as I love the Orville, or at least I love what season one tried to be. Oh, okay. Season two is good. Don't get me wrong. I like season two. 
But the whole debacle with the actress that played the security chief, you know, that that yeah. kind of soured me a bit the series. The Orville is not a space exploration show. Like, okay. like the Orville is, is is listed in the show as an exploratory vessel. But they do very little exploring. Like literally everything they everybody they encounter in the Orville is people they already know. Races they are already know. Now, it's good. Don't get me wrong. Don't 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 mistake my commentary for I hate the Orville, you know, you should you should watch something else. Don't mistake that. It's good. Watch it. But you heard it here not- first, kids. Orville sucks. It's the worst <laughs> thing ever, Commander Scott. But 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 it's not space exploration. It, okay. It's just not. Uh, because everything that the Orville encounters in their series is already known to the, the systems. Well. And everything. They think they know some things. Mm. Now, I love it. It's great. But, yeah. Okay. Anyway. Well, fine then. No, I'll it, stop bringing stuff up then, Scott. Fine. As well, you should. Let's just talk Trek. In fact, welcome to the show. This is called Trek Alert. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. Now, Strange New Worlds is is very good. Uh, I love Strange New Worlds. I'm I'm anxious to see where it goes. Uh, I love the actors. I love the characters. Um, I love the Orville. I'm anxious to see see season four. You know, uh, and everything. And from where we started to what we've got season now, three. Did I see season four? He did. I mean, it's been long enough. We should be it's, on season four. Yeah, right now, it's but. been long enough. Shit. Yeah, season three. Yeah. Damn. Wow. Anyway, very much yep. looking forward to it. So, well, there you go. Um, that's all I got. All right, then. All right, so um, from 1902, The Voyage dans la Lune, <laughs> all the way up to Star Trek Strange New Worlds, 120-some years of space exploration in film and television. Um, and there's the highlights, only apparently like five shows <laughs> that you should watch. Uh, no, th- th- those are our, um, the ones that stick out to us. Uh, we, we, we could do an entire program exploring everything in between those. Um, but I think that's a pretty good list. Um, especially considering we, we, we just wanted to talk about SG1 and how much we love it. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah. Uh, hopefully, we brought some stuff up. Maybe you haven't seen, and it's piqued your interest. Uh, have you seen Forbidden Planet? If not, go check it out. Have you seen the Silent Earth without the MST3K commentary? Uh, if not, maybe go track that down. No, no one should see that without uh, uh, Rift Tracks MST3K commentary. Okay. Uh, 
<clears throat> are you a big Trekkie? If not, if you're not, are you not into to sci-fi? Do you consider yourself not into sci-fi? Because I don't believe you. Everyone's into sci-fi. You just haven't found yours yet. Give Stargate S you want to try. Um, or if you got 15 minutes to kill, jump on YouTube and look up A Trip to the Moon, George yeah. Millier. Hello? Yep. Okay. Uh, but you got cut off, sorry. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Um, that's our list. That's that's the, the big favorites for us. Let us know what you thought. Uh, anything we should have had on our list that we didn't. Uh, anything that was new to you and strike your interest, let us know. Uh, until then, uh, Commander Scott. Well, I, I was going to ask: Do you still oh. want to? Do you still want to use this outro? Considering I was under a very weird impression of what we were doing today. Um, I am trying to remember the phrasing. Um, yeah, incoming wormhole, Scott. the theme song to Wormhole Extreme. <laughs>